So I, I mentioned before that I'm going to talk about um, living kindness, the title of my new book. And, and you know, I think it's to anybody who's been around the Buddhist world for any amount of time. If you hear something called living kindness, you you immediately, I hope, make the connection with loving kindness. And, and um, you know, so the this bigger idea, this this idea of living kindness is about trying to take the loving kindness meditation practice and see it in a broader way than it's perhaps typically presented. Um, and it, it's something that I've been interested in for a long time. And, and so uh, as I wrote that book, it was, I was drawing from several different suttas that kind of point to different dimensions of loving kindness. So we know, of course, the meditation of loving kindness is to cultivate unconditional love for all beings. And there's a, a way of doing that that's very common where we send it to ourselves and to other, you know, loved ones, neutral ones, difficult ones, and radiating. But there are many other dimensions just of the practice itself. There's the dimension of mindfulness, the, the need for mindfulness to be part of uh, loving kindness. There is the concentration element. Uh, the loving kindness is a, a excellent uh, tool for cultivating concentration. And then it, the the whole range of the Brahma Viharas, which include loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity, are really useful antidotes, can be antidotes to many of the challenges, the meditative challenges we call the hindrances. Loving kindness can be an antidote to fear. Um, and so, it, it, you know, I think it's interesting to explore it in these many dimensions and, and to, I would say, embrace it and bring it into our lives in this way so that it's not something we just do on a cushion. And it's not just about trying to be really nice to people, <laughs> you know, that that's not quite, you know, I mean, we can't, I can't do that all the time, but, it, or, or like to always have this feeling, like one of the things that I wanted to talk about in this book is how, what about when I'm not feeling loving? Does that mean that I have lost this intention that I have to be kind, because I, I don't believe that it does, because, you know, feelings are impermanent. But that doesn't mean that I still can't still live kindness, right? I might not feel it, but I can still be living it and fulfilling it. So I thought, I thought that um, the kind of most effective way to kind of look at some of these ideas is to go through the famous sutta, the discourse on loving kindness, the Buddha's words on loving kindness. And, and many of you, I'm sure, have heard this sutta. Maybe you've chanted it. Uh, it's something I was introduced to a long time ago and learned to chant. And, and if you ever uh, sit with the uh, 
Abayagiri monks from the, the Thai forest tradition, they chant this pretty much every day. Um, but it's quite a really interesting sutta. It's quite short. It's all contained on this one little page. <laughs> now I'll tell a little bit of the background of it. The, the sutta, there's a story that goes with it. And, and as with, you know, many of the suttas, there's, there's a story, there are people involved. It wasn't just a random teaching. As the story goes, the Buddha recommended that a certain group of his monks go to a certain forest to meditate during the rains retreat. And that when they got there, the story says that there were some tree spirits that lived in the forest. And they were quite happy to have the monks visit. But when they realized that the monks planned on staying for three months, they kind of were, yeah, we don't really want these guys around that long. This is, they're kind of in our space, you know. So the tree spirits started to spook the monks. They started to make these uh, frightening noises. And and it says that they made like sm horrible smells. <laughs> it's interesting that the powers that tree spirits apparently have. And and the, the monks, you know, tried to sit through all this, but eventually they were like, oh, we've got to go back and see the Buddha and find out and give us another place to meditate. So they go back to the Buddha and say that that place that didn't work, the tree spirits were just drove us out. And the Buddha says, well, that's actually the best place for you to be meditating right now. Because in, in the story, again, the Buddha kind of has this psychic power that he sort of knew, like, this is, that's actually, that's your energy spot right now. So this is what I want you to do. And then he presents them with the Loving Kindness Sutta and says, go back and chant this and repeat these words and do this practice and radiate loving kindness to the tree spirits. And so the monks do that. And the tree spirits fall in love with the monks, basically, and go, oh, this is great. We love having these guys around. And they they actually set up a perimeter around the forest so nobody can get in to bother the monks, and they protect them for the for their retreat. And so the, so the sutta then uh, is known as a protective uh, teaching. And, you know, there are stories, the Abhayagiri Monastery, that in the fires a, a few years ago, fires came right up to the edge of their land and the the firefighters who were were standing there said that they were ready to fight off the fire as it came over this ridge and just at a certain point it just stopped and went backward and the 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 firefighters the head of the firefighters told Ajahn Pasno that he had never seen this happen before and, you know, maybe it's magical thinking, but this is sort of taken as, you know, maybe this is how it works because they definitely do a lot of metta practice at that monastery. So it's a, meant to be a protective practice, but it's meant, it's many things. So, so let me just get into it with you. So the opening of the sutta doesn't mention loving kindness. Uh, and this is how it goes. It says, this is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, 
contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud and demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. So we're already more than a quarter of the way into the sutta, and we haven't mentioned anything really about loving kindness at all. What we're, what the Buddha is describing is behaving in an upright and ethical way. So in the Buddhist tradition, the progressive path of the development of practice and of spiritual cultivation starts with with what's called sila, the moral or ethical component of the path. So this is what the Buddha is laying down before he even suggests that you practice loving kindness. He says, you need to be uh, skilled in goodness, upright, able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, so not lying, humble and not conceited, not driven by ego, uh, not proud and demanding. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. So this is really about about uh, ethics and, and morality. So f then finally we get, <laughs> finally, you know, this introduction to this idea. So he says, wishing in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. So here we have encapsulated very similar ideas to the typical phrases that we do in the loving kindness meditation. Usually we'll say something like, may you be happy, may you be peaceful, may you be safe. So here he says, in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. So you know, gladness is happy, in safety, of course, is safe, and being at ease is peaceful. So it's that part of the practice is kind of contained just in those two little lines. Then another whole bunch about who you should send loving kindness to. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. You know, and we see this in the suttas where the Buddha says things that are seem very redundant. Like it seems like it would have been enough to just say, "May all beings be at ease." But then it'll be saying, "You know, the weak or the strong, medium, short or small." You know, I'm always thinking like we're trying on T-shirts here. I don't know what size I need. You know, the seen and the unseen. That is an interesting line. Does does that mean just like? There's people I can't see because they're in their house, or does it mean beings that are not visible to us? Um, I suspect it could be both, actually. Um, certainly in the Buddhist tradition, there are lots of beings that are not visible to us. But it was suggested, I recently was hearing one Buddhist scholar say that perhaps one of the reasons the Buddha would be very kind of repetitive or seemingly redundant by using, like you'll say, good friends, good comrades, good companions. And you're like, isn't that th the same thing? The, the suggestion, I don't know if this is true, but it's an interesting one, is that the Buddha was addressing people with different dialects, and they would have sort of 
different terminology that they would they, you know they all kind of spoke the same language but but there'd be these variations and perhaps he was trying to make sure that everybody understood what he was saying i don't know i've always thought that it was more about the really about the rhythm you know because the chanting in Pali, there's a lot of it is very musical and rhythmic, and the monks had to memorize these things. And I think that the sounds and the rhythms of them, uh, you know, it helped them. The, the redundancy probably has a rhythmic and and um, you know a pleasing sort of sound to it. Um, in any case, we see this in the suttas a lot of these repetitions. So then after this little passage where it's, you know, may all beings be at ease and all, you know, in this list of different beings, there, there's, this is one of the places where the sutta changes gears. Because I, so I see the sutta as these kind of several different sections. Here it says, let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. So this is, uh, you know, uh, this uh, subtle difference. And, and this is something else we see in the way the Buddha presents ideas. He often presents ideas in negative terms. Like he will say, not self, you know, or non-harming, or here, non-ill will. So the this is one of the, points that I address in my book, that there is a difference. And I think it's a, a fairly important difference. It's not so obvious right away, but there's a difference between loving kindness for all beings and non-ill will for all beings. And the way I see that difference is when we say we need to spread loving kindness for all beings, there's kind of a sense of, okay, I got to really make a lot of loving kindness. <laughs> like this has got to be big, which is beautiful, you know, and it's, and it's lovely to do that and have this sense of expansiveness. But with non-ill will, it's actually more, there's not as many people I have to get it to because I don't have ill will towards a lot of people. And it's also pointing to, like, it's it's beautiful when you can cultivate a feeling of love. And it's, but it's also really unpleasant when you have a feeling of ill will. And when you can, it, it can be hard to maybe keep up that loving kindness for all beings. But when you catch yourself going for anger, you know, and there's a, per and if you're very clear that that's not who you want to be, you might not be able to get like, like you're, someone cuts you off on the highway. I always use this example. And, you know, the kind of anger comes up, but it's like, okay, I might not be able to go, oh, no, but I really love you, you know, but I can catch myself and go, you know what? Getting angry at that person only makes me uncomfortable. And this is one of the teachings. Uh, that we see is that it's not just that it's, you know, harmful in an external way, but the internal impact of hatred is so painful. So that when we have this intention to just not be hate, 
hate people. It's a really good guideline for us because inevitably we're going to get have moments in our lives where we get triggered and set off and something arises in us. But if we have this real strong intention, it, we can let go of that. And we, as I say, we might not be able to flip right over into boundless loving kindness, but we can let go of the anger. And that's the critical thing, right? Because anger, I mean, we see it in the way the Buddha teaches about this. The sutta that I talk about it with is the, called the simile of the saw, where the Buddha actually says, even if bandits are sawing off your limbs with a two-handled saw, if a thought of ill will arises, you are not following my path. Well, that's hugely demanding, you know, but it's also not saying you have to love them as they're sawing off your limbs, but try, but don't let yourself be overwhelmed with hate. And of course, it's not a, a realistic scenario, but it's, it, you know, it seems that he's saying this to make a point. I mean, this is Ajahn Pasano, the former abbot of Abayagiri, I, I talked with him about that particular line. And he said, yeah, I, I don't think we have to take it that way. I mean, it's an ideal, but but I think it's really about really driving home the point that ill will is just the most unskillful and unwise thing to act on. Okay, so that's the ill will section. <laughs> Uh, and now there's the most famous line from the sutta, maybe most famous image, after saying, let none deceive another or despise any being in any state, let none through anger or ill will, Ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. So this is a, you know, a famous image. And, and um, you know, when my daughter was an infant, uh, we actually, my wife and I actually, we went over to James's house. There was a monk visiting, uh, Ajahn Jumnian visiting from Thailand. Uh, and he didn't have very much English, but when he saw that there was a, we were standing in the back, but he, when he saw that we had an infant with us, he called us forward, come, 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 come. <laughs> very sweet and then he spoke to, to the translator the translator's turn and said Ajahn Jumnian says uh, metta is mother love and it was very you know it was a very beautiful inspiring moment you know to have and to have my my daughter there uh, sort of being blessed by this monk I've thought about that idea because I think my initial thought of what that meant was kind of the way that I felt right in that moment, this feeling of just boundless love for this child, for this infant, you know, this protective and, and affection. But as I thought more about it over the years, I realized that mother love isn't always soft and sweet. <laughs> Sometimes it's very tough. You know, I mean, it's, it's hard to be a mother, you know, I, I've observed, you know, it's not easy to be a father either. And to realize when the Buddha says, even as a mother protects with her life, he's not saying, even as a mother hugs and tucks in their baby and kisses them goodnight, he's saying, 
they protect it. So with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. There's this, you know, this idea of this really fierce kind of love that's going to protect, protect beings with your life. And again, it points to the protective aspect of this sutta, why it's chanted over and over as a protection. So with a boundless heart, should one cherish all living beings? Now we get to the part that I think of as the radiating part. It says, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, free from hatred and ill will. So this is the closest thing. We could say there are two meditation instructions in this sutta. Two very clear ones. There's a couple more that we'll get to. But there's the instruction to wishing in gladness and in safety may all beings be at ease. So wishing for people to be at ease. And then there's this instruction radiating kindness over the entire world. So many of you are probably familiar with the more structured way of practicing metta, where we loving kindness for the benefactor, for ourselves, for our loved ones, for the neutral person, for the difficult one. The Buddha didn't teach that. It's a lovely teaching. It's very helpful practice, but it came much later and it comes out of the, the teaching, the, the collection, the, the commentary called the Vasudhimaga or the path of purification. So it's interesting. There are some, uh, you may be familiar with Venerable Analio, the great modern uh, scholar monk and and he really encourages us to practice metta as a radiating practice rather than as a visualizing different people i my feeling is that any way you can cultivate metta is good it you know whether it's exactly like the buddha taught it or what it says in the vasudhimaga or what someone else says not important you know, the, the form is not important. The, the idea is important. But I think it's helpful and interesting to know, oh, yeah, that, okay, here's kind of what the, the Buddha taught. So um, if you're looking for, um, I'll actually put this in the, in the uh, chat. Let me see, see if I have this website up. I can get it very quickly. So if you're looking for some practices that uh, are about um, radiating loving kindness, uh, right here. Okay, I think this is the place. No, that's an article. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to, to Lee Brasington's uh, website. Uh, Lee was a student of the Venerable Ayakema and Ayakema taught radiating practices of loving kindness. So, uh, wait, oh, here it just says metta. Yes, here we go. Yeah. So on this page, if you are interested, there are a, a bunch of recordings of Ayakema teaching. And what she would do, she would she would give an image. Like one of her famous ones is, imagine that there's a lotus flower in your heart 
And the as the lotus flower opens, a golden beam of light radiates out from your heart. It's quite a nice image to work with, to just sit and, you know, you, you want to get settled, right? And then to start to cultivate just this feeling of this warmth in your heart, this golden light, and then you radiate it out and it gets more and more expansive. And as, you know, as the Buddha talks about the boundless loving kindness, outward and unbounded. Um, okay. Check the time here. I think we've got time to get through this. Only a few more lines. So radiating kindness over the entire world, upwards, downwards, outwards, unbounded, so that there's no boundary to it. And there's nothing that it, there's nowhere that it stops. Free from hatred and ill will wraps up. So back to that. So then, then we get to these very prosaic lines because there are certain very poetic lines, you know, in the sutta and then it says whether standing or walking seated or lying down free from drowsiness one should sustain this recollection so what we are getting there is the four postures that we meditate in whether standing walking seated lying down very helpful to know you can do this in any posture free from drowsiness so we're trying to counter that counteract the hindrance of sleepiness right one should sustain this recollection. So what that means in the line, sustain this recollection, we're combining mindfulness, which is recollection. And actually Bhikkhu Bodhi translates that, that as, as mindfulness. One should sustain this mindfulness. And sustaining of anything requires concentration. So it contained in the sutta here, a little kind of hidden, if you have to look for it, are both mindfulness and concentration. So it's not just, oh, I'm loving people, but I'm doing it in a very, I'm very mindful of doing it. Because we, we need to be mindful as we're practicing loving kindness to notice whether we're actually practicing loving kindness. <laughs> because, you know, if the mind wanders and you find yourself off, you know, particularly, oh, if you're doing, trying to have love and kindness for the difficult person and the mind gets into a bad memory or something, all of a sudden you lose it, right? You need to sustain that recollection. And it says, this is said to be the sublime abiding. So this is back to this poetic language, the sublime abiding, you know, this, the, this beautiful place. And, and, I'm sure many of you are familiar with the term Brahma Viharas, the the metta, karuna, mudita, upeka, loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. So Brahma Vihara means the divine abode. So we can see that this sublime abiding is kind of where they got that term of divine abode. It's very similar, sublime abiding. So now we get four closing lines, which really change the tenor of the sutta. And these are about enlightenment. And Bhikkhu Bodhi says that these actually are naming the different uh, three of the stages of enlightenment by not holding to fixed views the pure-hearted one having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Well, it's kind of a shocking ending in a way if you're, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I take the suttas to be these to be very dramatic in certain ways when you really look at them, you know, because we're going through this sutta that's about, you know, starts out about being able and upright and skillful in speech and then radiating kindness and a mother protects a child. And then you're not born again into this world. It's like, what? What, what's that have to do with anything? So you have to know, again, you know, we need teachers. And this is where, of course, I've learned everything is from my teachers. That in the Theravadan Buddhist tradition, when you become fully enlightened, which is like a four-stage thing, you know, it's very technical, all this in a way, you're not, you don't keep coming back. You're not reborn. This is when the Buddha says, you know, that he set out to end suffering. He was, and then he says, well, you know, if you're born, you're going to suffer, right? Birth is suffering, aging is suffering, death is suffering. So he's like, well, the way to end suffering is to not keep being reborn. So that's the technical explanation of this. But I think we can get much more out of this. You know, for those of us who are not at the fourth stage of enlightenment, we might still still might be something useful in here. So I like to go back to this, first of all, by not holding to fixed views. And that's, uh, again, it's associated with the first stage of enlightenment, uh, views and opinion. But for each of us, we realize, we all know how much suffering we can create for ourselves by being stuck in a, an opinion or a view. And we we can look at the world and see how much suffering happens because people cling to views, cling to opinions. Aren't They don't care. I don't care what the science says. I have my beliefs and that's what it is. Like, what? Why? You know, and so, so, so for, for each of us to say, okay, you know, I have my opinion, but I'm still interested to hear what you have to say. And, I, you know, there's a famous line from the Dalai Lama. He said, if science proves that Buddhism is wrong, then Buddhism will have to change. I love that line. You know, that's an amazing statement from a religious leader to say that if his beliefs are shown to be just not true, then he's not going to hold on to them. So not holding to fixed views. A pure-hearted one. I mean, it's a beautiful line. We we all want to be pure of heart, having clarity of vision. So that kind of evokes, it might resonate a little bit with the idea of Vipassana or insight meditation, clarity of vision, right? Seeing. It's, it's what we're trying to cultivate in this practice is clarity, clarity of vision. And of course, it's, you know, this is inner vision, right? The Stevie Wonder album, because it was a perfect example of somebody who has beautiful inner vision and not and no outer vision. So there you are, you know, being freed from all sense desires. Okay. Well, <laughs> I don't know if any of you are ready for that. I, I'm, I'm not there, but it's, I'm pretty clear that pursuing sense desires as the way to happiness is wrongheaded and it does not work. I mean, as a recovering addict, I'm, you know, living proof of that. So, you know, 
I take this as a middle way. I, I, I'm not free of all sense desires, but you know, as we all do, we all every day we have to deal with like, oh, am I going to have that bowl of ice cream? <laughs> you know, or am I going to have the extra scoop? Or you know, to, uh, am I going to stay in bed for an extra hour? You know, we we're letting go. You know, we we see the things that you know that oh, there's a longing for more comfort, more safety, and and we you know, and we try you know, you try to take care of yourself, but then you sort of see how that. Okay, what's the skillful, you know, middle way of that? And finally, the line is not born again into this world. Uh, uh, you know, if if you don't believe in reincarnation or you're not at your fourth stage of enlightenment, does this have some value? And and one of the ways that this is talked about in certainly in Western Buddhist circles is the idea that we are creating ourselves moment by moment that our ego is being born moment by moment and that and so that what we're trying to do here is kind of let go of the creating ego self you know being born over and over and 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 again not that we're gonna oh totally let go of ego but that we are able at times to cut through that and and or at least not let that be the sort of driving force or guiding force in our lives you know somehow satisfying our ego inflating our ego you know uh to the what's our relationship to our identity you know oh well i'm a meditation teacher so you know <laughs> i'm very wise and you know i go out I, I mentioned golf before in passing. I am a golfer, you know, quote unquote. That's one of my identities. Well, when I get to the golf course and if I tell somebody that I'm a meditation teacher, I try to avoid telling them that because they have this expectation. Oh, if you're a meditation teacher, then you're going to be so relaxed on the golf course. So when I throw my club, they'll be like, well, you must be a really bad meditation teacher. It's like, no, like... It's not really who I am. I'm not a meditation teacher. I'm not a golfer. I'm just a, a human being who does these different things and takes on these different roles. I try not to be attached to them. And, and I, I also do, try not to throw my clubs. I, that was an exaggeration. Sometimes they get dropped, you know, but uh, no, but, but this idea of how we cling to identity, you know, I, I've seen in my own life how that created suffering for me. As a musician, uh, I was very attached to that identity. And, and it was really hard for me to let go, even though it wasn't at a certain point, it stopped serving me. But still, it was like, that's who I am. I can't stop being that. And, and so uh, I learned a lot by letting go of that. Uh, um, you know, as my primary identity and, and being able to, um, you know, still play music, you know, but not be, that's who I am. You know? So I hope this is helpful. Uh, you know, I, I love this sutta. I hope you will explore it on your own. If you're interested, I hope you'll uh, look at my book, Living Kindness, uh, to see what I do with this. Um, so thank you for your attention. And um we still have some time left, so I'll I'll open um, I'll open uh, open it up for questions or comments or anything. Uh, so I see someone in the chat said, "You cannot copy and paste from chat. Is there something you can do to fix this?" Huh? Interesting.
I'm not sure what that has anybody been able to open the links that I put in there? Okay. So, yeah. All right. So maybe, uh, Serena, if you're trying to click on those, see if, maybe try again. So any, any questions or comments uh, tonight about this topic or really any, anything? I'm happy to to talk about anything that you'd like to talk about. We could talk about the warrior's trade, you know. How do you feel about losing James Wiseman? I don't know if there are any basketball fans out there. <laughs> no, we're really not going to talk about that. But anyway, I, I have a hard time not making jokes sometimes. It's just my personality. Now, the thing is, I believe that all of you were thinking as I was talking, because that's what we do. So I'd like to hear what you were thinking. <laughs> if, you know, you can express it in whatever way you feel comfortable expressing publicly, but, but certainly, uh, there we go, Rick, hi. I just wanted to say that you can take a screenshot of the... Oh. Um, of the chat and that's how you can preserve it oh yeah you can also save the chat right no you can't do that anymore it seems no really that's strange i discovered you can take a screenshot of it and save it right that. right okay well i'm not a techie john are you raising your hand so, um, Kevin, what what um, translation of the loving kindness sutta is your favorite, and is it in your book, Living Kindness? Yeah, yeah, it it is, and, and I I just always have I use the one that I was first introduced to, which is the one that they use at the um, you know the Abhayagiri Monastery in Amaravati, um, and yeah, I I confess that I I don't I'm not like a poly scholar or something. I don't get into like trying to do a lot of comparing of different translations because it just ah uh, it I actually get overwhelmed with it. You know, I'm like oh, uh, so this one from uh which which came originally I think. It, was someone like Ajahn Suchito might have translated it back in the eighties. I was, I was with. I don't know if you know um, Renu Ruth Dennison, but uh, she, she was a beautiful teacher down in Southern California, and I was at her center for a retreat in nineteen ninety two, and she handed these out, and we were chanting them, and so, you know. I got attached <laughs> so there, because it's interesting. Yeah. Bhikkhu Bodhi, the Sutta Napata, which is the big collection that this comes out of Bhikkhu Bodhi has a new version of that. And when I looked at it, one of the things that I noticed was that according to him, it's even as a mother protects with her life, her son, her only son. And clearly this was not like, 
uh, kind of fly with a uh, modern Western audience, you know. And uh, so I, I like having it be a little bit modified uh, for our our needs. I do one chapter. The chapter that I do on the sutta itself is actually late in the book. Um, yeah, it's, it kind of, I, I go through a bunch of other things before I get to that. Now, uh, Kimberly, do you have your virtual hand up? I do. Hi. Thank you for the talk. Aloha, everyone. Um, uh -huh. You know, you asked us to share what we were thinking. Very <laughs> contemplative throughout this talk. You know what came to mind for me was, as I've studied Jack and James and Taryn, a lot of people use the term friend often. Yeah. And that used to, in the beginning, really turn me off, so to speak, because I'm like, I don't know these people. Everybody's not my friend who comes into my life. It's, that's way too vulnerable, you know. I kind of get it more now. However, what I liked tonight was it felt like a more, a softer way of coming at it like that, what you were talking about. Mm. And I really appreciated that because like, I'm, I'm not always willing to be vulnerable, but I'm definitely willing to not be angry yeah. at everyone. And that's yeah. a huge shift. Yeah, <laughs> It feels so less injurious, just like you said. And that's wonderful. Thank you for articulating it. Yeah, thank you, Kimberly. I, I mean, you know, we, we, uh, you know, the cliche is we teach what we need to learn. And, and I think for me, um, my, you know, my, uh, it's been, uh, I have a hard time doing a lot of things uh, in that are offered in the teachings, you know, that are suggested and, and it, and for a, early in my practice, and, you know, really, not just early in my practice, but, you know, there have been a lot of struggles. And as I found ways to work with the things that were difficult for me, and then as I started to become a teacher, I really didn't want people to have to suffer in the ways I did in a way. I, you know, I wanted to kind of share the... the um, my my approach which which is a very i would say it's it's founded very much in self compassion you know and and i, I you know that that's kind of um before there was a term self compassion you know before i had ever heard of self compassion i was doing it uh because i would you know i struggled and then it was like well this you know you're not meditation isn't supposed to be painful like this shouldn't be so, so hard and if i can't if i can't do it i i don't or if it's not going the way you know i have some ideal of it right there's always this ideal then i'm not going to say that's there's something wrong with me and i'm not going to say there's something wrong with the ideal i'm going to say there must be a way to do this that's going to work you know so what what do it what would work, you know? 
And uh, so not to, because you can kind of, you know, beat your head against the wall, like with certain practices, like I'm, you're supposed to do it this way. And I mean, for, for a long time, I did the noting practice, like you're supposed to note everything and I noted and noted and noted. And it just, I just got more and more miserable, you know, <laughs> and it was like, oh, and finally I was like, I, you know, no, <laughs> I, I give up. And uh, so that's why I say I think it's really important to find your own way of practicing. And that doesn't mean to to just cut corners or, you know, to to be half measures with it. But but there are many ways to practice and, and there are many teachers. And, and that's also why I think it's really important to, you know, find a teacher that really resonates for you and, and not you know you everybody's like oh this teacher's so great and you go and you see them it's like well they don't it doesn't really work for me well there must be something wrong with me because that person doesn't resonate for me you know no i mean it's just like we're all different and you know we resonate to different things so yeah <laughs> thanks time for a couple more yes steve hi I thank you for your talk tonight. I really uh, enjoyed it. Uh, you touched on the idea of like radical love and kindness, uh, and you talked a little bit about that. But could you expand a little bit? Did I, exactly I, I, I don't know. I don't. Did I say? I did, did I say that? Did, did I guess you didn't? Do you say radical <laughs> something? Ra radiating. Radiating. Yes. Okay. That's. <laughs> so please expand about on that a little bit more. Yeah. So it radiating loving kindness um, involves working with uh, the feeling. It's you'd first try to cultivate a feeling of loving kindness, and then it's a kind of using the imagination in a sense. So. And, and it's quite interesting, really, when you do this. So, so the uh, to cultivate the feeling, we need to find something or someone that, when we think of them, we just feel really warm and fuzzy, you know. And I, I was just reading um, Ajahn Brahmavaso about this and he loves cats he says so he thinks about cats uh, that's doesn't not quite my path uh but uh, but he says he gets this warm feeling and then you just imagine that there, that this feeling is not limited to your body and and i think of it it's kind of like a gentle pushing and just a sense of expanding. And there's nothing, as the Buddha says, it's boundless. Other, there's no boundary to it. So it keeps spreading. And, and I do it kind of uh, very much like kind of geographically almost. Like I'll kind of spread it. I'll see it like go out of my house and then start to spread around my neighborhood and expand and up to the sky, you know. So it... And, it, and it's quite interesting that 
if if we have to have a certain amount of concentration to to do this at all it's not like you just sit down okay i'm not going to radiate you you know it's something i would recommend meditating for at least 10 or 20 minutes before you start to do this but once once you're settled a bit and you start to do this it's quite remarkable that using the imagination we can actually induce this kind of state of a very expansive mind. You know, one of the practices Joseph Goldstein teaches, big mind meditation, and they talk about that in Zen. Um, it's it's really um, a helpful practice because not only do you can you actually induce this kind of feeling of vastness of mind, but even doing that helps you to see that what you think of as your mind is actually not contained in your head. <laughs> and that that consciousness itself doesn't necessarily isn't necessarily bound up with the body in that way. And it also takes you out of a very kind of like self view into this sense of oh, you know, there is this vast connected world. We are all part of this thing. So there's insight that comes from it. But that, but that's, uh, again, coming back to the, the basic step is try to cultivate a feeling of loving kindness and then just imagine that it's spreading out. And that's what the the many of the practices that Ayakema offers do. They're, they create images for you to work with. And as I said, the, the one of radiating the, the golden beam of light out of the heart uh, is a really uh, beautiful and helpful one. So, I, I, you know, I, I really recommend experimenting with it. I think you'll find it. Um, I, I, well, no, I, I don't know how you'll find it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, because, uh, as I say, everybody has their <laughs> uh, version. So uh, someone's asking, can I write the name of the version of the sutta that I like? It's, uh, it, I don't, there is no name to it. But if you go to the Abhayagiri, and I'm going to put that up, if you go to their website, abhayagiri.org, they have, and you, you look under their books section, they have chanting, they have their chanting book in there. And this version of the Metta Sutta is in the chanting book. So that's about the best I can give you. And there was another question, you know, often answer questions about anything. Now here, can you suggest a local retreat center besides Spirit Rock, a setting for practice in a group? So, uh, Sandra, um, it depends where you are. I, I guess you're saying you're in the Bay Area. If you're saying besides um, Spirit Rock, um, the uh, Gil Fronsdale Center on the peninsula called the Insight Meditation Center. It's in Redwood City. That's a wonderful place. I don't know if it's open. Hoping maybe it's open. Not... Mm, other than that, you know, I think Spirit Rock is kind of like, because it's so big, there haven't, 
been a lot of other centers that have, uh, the, in terms of the insight tradition, I think IMC is the only one that I can think of. I know in Sacramento, they have a community and they have a space. They do have a space there. The Sacramento Buddhist Meditation Group, SBMG. Uh, that's about all I got. I'm sorry, I don't have anything more. So it looks like we're about out of time. So if there isn't another question, I'm going to just uh, offer a, a little bit of meta practice to close, and maybe we can do it as a as a radiating practice. So just settling back for a moment again, and it seems to me that we can start our meta practice by just looking at all the people on the screen and sending loving kindness to everyone. And we look at these squares and sometimes you wonder if they're, they're real people, but each of, each of us here is a real person. Each of us, each of us wants happiness, each of us wants love. So let's start by sending loving kindness to everyone on these screens. And then having this sense of spreading out and th maybe thinking about where you are, wherever you are, imagining that loving kindness is spreading out from your heart, a golden beam of love, broad and deep, touching everyone in the building you're in, outward into the neighborhood, touching people and animals, the trees, the insects. This golden beam of loving kindness radiates out further and further. The mind becoming vast and boundless, holding the earth the earth held in this golden beam of love, all beings and all things infused with loving kindness, a limitless, boundless, immeasurable, radiating kindness over the entire world upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, free from hatred and ill will. And when we do the radiating practice, we end by bringing the golden beam of light or the 
feeling loving kindness right back into the heart. We, we realize the vastness of our own potential love. We feel ourselves here, breathing alive. May all beings be free from suffering. Thank you all so much. Thank you for your attention. We're showing up for yourselves practicing together. <laughs>